Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. I'm back from America and I'm sounding more English than ever. Don't you worry. Nothing will go possible. Maybe you laughed at my Bellew accent, right? Yeah, it's pretty yeah, terrible, you, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to Howdy, get... partner. I'm American. Is that American what? or American? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hello, everyone. I am back and... Well, unfortunately, me being back means Martin isn't here. So, well, it doesn't actually mean that. I haven't kicked him out, but just you've you've had one person come back in and one person go away. So. Glue right here, there. Glue right here, and uh, Terry's sticking it all together right. as the glue. Don't do drugs, kids, and don't do steroids if you're boxing. Yeah, big no no. A lot of people are misbehaving now, aren't they? So, uh, putting it out there. <laughs> in relation to what? You can't just say that. What do you mean? Listen, look, we'll, we'll touch on it later. Um, it's all I'm in the topic. I'm sure we will. But, but this is, it's all, look, you know, just putting it out there. A lot of people, you know, buying stuff on the internet. Names are on databases. Had a little glimpse. It's oh, all right. God. Look at that for like a minute and 18 seconds and I've already got this to deal with. Right, okay, fine. Well... <laughs> Okay, that's everyone's eardrums gone. Um, thank you very much for downloading the podcast. I am back. Martin is, unfortunately, childcare responsibilities have meant that he can't be with us this week. Get well soon, Martin. But me being here means that you got... We, we've substituted Martin's in-depth analysis to some extent. But me means me being here means you get a nice theme tune at the beginning, a nice theme tune at the end, and a bit more of a polished podcast. So... Maybe you want to go back to recorded phone calls between Terry and Martin next that's, week. That's, that's what gets the listens. That's what gets the clicks. <laughs> yeah. um, right, we've got lots to touch on this week. We have um, the review of the Lemieux-Stevens fight. We have Clarissa Shields' fight against almost someone whose name is virtually unpronounceable. I'm uh, going to touch on women's boxing. Also, there's going to be some... In fact, I'll save this one... And, AJ OJ teaser, and you can you we can flesh that out a little bit when he gets uh, closer to the point. We've got we're touching the World Super Series of Boxing, which has been uh, touted over the last couple of weeks, um, and then uh, a Terry rant. And Martin will be making a special guest appearance via a voice message. Via oh, satellite, live. Via I mean, satellite. yeah. I mean, via live satellite. He link. couldn't be here to accept his award, but he'd like to share a <laughs> message with the fans via satellite. Um, so there we go. Uh, we'll also preview the Golovkin Jacobs fight. But first things first, um, I guess I wanted to do my sort of like fan thing of talk to you, Terry, about the Hey Bell you fight. People have already, you and Martin obviously went into it in depth the other day, but for my own um, selfish reasons, I'm going to talk to you about it. So, the questions I have is um, 
why didn't Hay blow Bell you away? Um, this is tough for me. Everyone knows that, you know, David is someone I get along with. You know, we have a shared view on boxing, a lot of shared views on life as well. He's a boxer who I'm a fan of. I think as a technician, he is one of the best who have come out of this country. He is someone who's opened a lot of doors, as we discussed last week. He's made a lot of things possible for up-and-coming boxers now. Like he, he really set the blueprint for how you get yourself over with the fans. The truth is, and I can't confirm this, and I said this on the podcast last week, he's been injured for a while. Um, I'd suspect that he hadn't sparred since January. He was just rusty. And the thing about boxing is this. You can miss out on a bit of cardio and ring generalship, ring smarts will get you through a good few rounds in a fight. What you can't miss out on is sparring. You can't miss out on challenging yourself, challenging your reflexes, getting your habits and your patterns set up to fight someone like a Tony Bellew. David's not the kind of person to cut corners. He would have... A fully fit David would have taken Bellew very seriously and trained as hard as he could. What happened was he wasn't 100% in that ring, not from the first round. Forget that what happened in the sixth round. That was just a culmination of other things. He wasn't right from the first round. So, I, uh, okay, just sorry, just to jump in there when you're mid-flavor. I just want to... He pulled out twice against Tyson Fury through injury and then had the injury against Klitschko afterwards, which... Yeah, I, I realise that he got a bit um, sort of like ripped about. But then he's been injured again. What What is wrong with him? Why does he keep getting injured? Is it because he's not big enough to maintain? He's not. Is it because all of that weight is tearing his body up and he needs to be a cruiserweight and the heavyweight is just too much for his body to handle? Or, or what is it? So no, Overtraining? Well, no, but let's, let's, let's look at his career. In the amateurs, everyone was surprised that David boxed at 91 because he was making 81 comfortably. Um, I go back to the days when he was going to be fighting Tony Dodson and he was making the weight easily. If you look at it, you know, the Hay family aren't massive people. And the thing is, when you look at someone like a David Price, for example, David Price is a six foot eight man. He's a big man. He will have big tendons. He will have big joints. His ligaments will be bigger because his body's adapted to being huge. David probably could have had a good career as a light heavyweight and probably could have still made light heavy now. He wanted to pursue heavyweight glory, become a world champion, which he did, which meant he had to grow. And the bigger you get, you're almost you're taking you're taking years off your career by getting that big because you're taking shots that your body's not really designed to take and you're exerting yourself in a way your body's not designed to do. So, you, so you're redlining yourself and people should really congratulate David Hay for doing that because it's not even like he was a natural cruiserweight. You know, he's gone up to heavyweight, much like Roy Jones did, but decided to stick around. Whereas Roy Jones realized this isn't for me. So give him his due for what he's done. If you look at the fight, watch again, watch his back leg. At no point is his back leg actively engaged in anything that he does. He's just basically decided I'm not going to use my back leg for anything. So he knew there was something wrong. And Bellew, to his credit, and people haven't given Tony Bellew credit. I guess the last three or four fights haven't given us a chance to see what's happened in in Tony Bellew's camps or what he's what he's been working on. But the Hay fight was 
you know, a lot of clever things Tony was doing. He was changing head level a lot, which I think surprised David. So he wasn't as upright as people tend to assume Tony Bellew is. He was good on his feet, so he was able to slide out of range. Um, he was able to ride shots, so he didn't take anything flush. And as Dave Caldwell said, he had to keep telling him, don't jump in. If you feel you've got him, don't jump in because he might be playing possum and he'll catch you with a counter punch and take you out. So Tony boxed a disciplined fight. He boxed a fight that was designed to keep him competitive and to take the take the fight into the later rounds. It was never designed to win. I think Caldwell and Bellew's winning position on Friday night would have been, let's push him to the wire. If we win on po- if we lose on points, that's a victory for us. If we get knocked out late, that's still a victory for us. That was probably their default position, unless they were privy to information that they might or that they shouldn't have been. But I don't really want to go down that path because I don't want to throw shade on anyone. It's not the right thing to do. But questions will need to be asked at some point. The question I would have is because I I found quite a sorry sight to see David Hay in there. And yes, like when you see the video of, of his actual Achilles snapping, it's sickening. And you see Tony Bellew's face. There's another angle where Tony Bellew, his eyes turn to dinner plates uh, and he looks, David Hay, as he, as he notices the, the drop of the foot, looks at David Hay, like I say, his eyes turn to dinner plates, like, oh, what's happened there? And he knows that he's injured. So... I definitely wasn't insignificant. It definitely wasn't, um, it was definitely noticed at the time. And so therefore changed the whole dynamic of the fight. That's fine. Um, But um, I remember hearing um, the quote from Eddie Futch and it was in reference to boxing skill. And he said, there are certain things you can't get back, like the elastic in your socks. And I wondered if it's, gone for Hay. Has he lost um, enough speed? Because he didn't look particularly quick against Hay, uh, against Bellew. Like, what, even given the injury, was that hampering him up to the sixth round to the point where he just couldn't be what he's still capable of being? Or were we seeing all he had to give and then an even worse version of that once his Achilles did go? No. Um, you know, if we go back to the, the top end of the discussion, if someone hasn't been fit in this calendar year and they haven't really had a chance to spar, they can't do the road work, they can't do the the things you'd normally do to get in peak condition, how do you expect someone to be quick? Um, boxing is 85% feet, right? Whatever people try and tell you about punches, ignore the punches. It's how quickly you can move your feet, how dynamic you can be with your feet and your legs. If you have one leg, that takes away, like, this, this, really, he should have pulled out the fight. That's the truth. You know, any other boxer with, with the situation he had would have pulled out and everyone would have understood why. But, you know, as you said, past, past incidents mean that it would have been a hard sell to say he's injured again. I'd also imagine Eddie Hearn, might have put pressure on on for the fight to happen. I don't know. But I don't think you can judge this performance of David Hayes because he was never in a position to give his best, which is why I've said, let the rematch happen. Let the Achilles heal fully. And then let's see what David has. Let's remember, this is a man who is 36 years old. So 
if you're expecting him to spring around like he did at 25, you're not going to get that, David. And I'll go back to a podcast that I gave probably when I first joined and I said, the long-term view of the, the Hay Camp is we need to enable him to do more with less. He needs to be clever on the inside. He needs to be able to ride more shots, come back with counters, be more consistent on his jab and have a bit more of a old-timers look about him. And if you see what he did with Bellew, he didn't get hit clean. You saw the picture afterwards when he came out of the hospital, right? Yeah, he didn't he didn't remotely touched. And why aren't people applauding that? You know, Tony Bellew said he's a feared puncher. When people get hit by Bellew, they go down. He didn't leave a mark on David Hay's face. And if you look at Tony Bellew's face, you can see he's been in a fight. So then my question would be, why couldn't he knock Bellew out? Is- There's no purchase. So, so- there's no purchase. You need both legs to punch. And he couldn't right. use both legs to punch. So if you're going to throw your straight right, you're going to shift your weight from your back leg to your front leg. If you're going to throw that left hook, which is normally what he likes to finish people off with as well, you're going to shift your weight from your front leg to your back leg. So either way, your back leg has to be able to take that load. Okay, um, just moving on from um, from that, I just want you to put your promoter's head on for a second. If you are in char- charge of Bellew's career at this point, and I say bell you because for me, once Hay had lost that fight, I just thought, well, Hay's only option now is for a rematch of Bellew, it seems to be. Because I don't see much of an appetite. All those people that might have an appetite to fight him would probably rather fight Bellew. For a similar purse, perhaps? You don't no. think you don't you don't no. think? No. No. Shaking David- his head with disdain, Terry, to that point. <laughs> David Hay is David Hay, right? The minute you see weakness in him, you're now clamoring for that name. You know, Chisora must be saying, do you know what? I'll take that rematch now. I want to avenge my loss. There'll be people saying, I want to avenge my loss, quite rightly too. Um, Bellew's only option is the rematch. But Joseph Parker? He'll get... These are big men. Joseph Parker is a big man of Maori stock. So him walking around at 16 and a half, 17 stone is natural weight. I don't, and, I don't doubt, yeah. I don't doubt, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of, so, I'm suggesting it's not necessarily who he can beat because I'm, I'm still not convinced by Tony Bellew. But what I'm thinking is if, if he's thinking to himself, right, I'm going to make the most money that I can out of the next, say, say he gives himself one or two fights more at this point. He's hot, so he'll get some sort of fight. Does he take the Hay fight? Does he take the Joseph Parker fight? There, there, there are three turns, there are three kinds of fight that make you a millionaire. Number one, at the top of the tree is the battle for supremacy. So Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman from last week is a prime example of that. You have two guys saying who's who's the undisputed number one. It's Thurman at the moment, but the winner of Brook and Spence will then be a credible challenger to that. So that's one kind of fight. The second kind of fight that will make you rich is the passing of the torch fight. AJ versus Klitschko. You know, Big fight. Everyone wants to see what the young buck can do against the old veteran. People will pay for that. The third kind is redemption. Frotch Groves 2. The only reason that did 80,000 at Wembley was people wanted to see redemption. They felt Groves got a hard deal. Mate, get back in there. Let's see what happens if people don't ruin yeah, see, it for you. I, the, I, I, I'm a, I, I agree with what you're saying. It makes per- And it makes perfect sense. The struggle I have is believing that Hay has more to give. Like, I, I want to believe that, but I'm not convinced from what I saw, you know? But, but you almost have to disregard what you saw. And you have to say, 
Hey, David Hay at 100% at his peak, what does he do to bell you? Smashes the peak bell you to Are we going to see Hay? Right? Well, okay. move down that ladder. You'd have to get to David Hay at 60% before you're worried for him in a fight against Bellew. Look, look, let's, look, let's, let's look back on the scorecards. By the end of the 10th round, Bellew was three rounds up after 10 rounds against the man with one leg. Yeah, it's fair to say up to the sixth round, Hay was in charge of the fight, wasn't he? He'd 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 bossed the fight. Yeah, and, um, he, and he was working his way in where the the compound damage of the Hay shots, even if they're just hitting arms yeah. and ribs, starts to take an effect. And you know, Hay on two legs would have been tough for Bellu into the stretch because the punches don't get any lighter. So, so are we gonna? Do we have the chart? Do you think we're ever gonna see a fully fit Hay again? I don't know. I I don't know. It's he he's had fifteen years of a pretty tough and strenuous training. Uh, what do you do then? Uh, it's a tricky one. I think we'll see him come back. He'll have to box smarter because by the time he boxes again, realistically, he'll be thirty-seven. And at thirty-seven, you can't do what you did when you were twenty-seven. Mm. So the advantage he has is he's a what I call a lifetime boxer. So he's boxed since he was a kid. And when you box when you're that young, what you learn to do is you learn to protect yourself. You learn to look after yourself because you're normally sparring against bigger and stronger guys. So he's got ring craft on his side, which I don't think guys like Joshua will ever have. So he can go late into his career and just change his style, be a little bit smarter, catching shots on the arms, coming back with the counters. Because he won't lose the power punching that he has. I don't believe he'll lose that. But he might lose that, that that little bit of speed. But let's let's see what the recovery does. And let's see what doors open up from there. Okay, so we've had um, review, uh, review Terry. We've had um, Promoter Terry. And we've had Mystic Terry. But now I want you to put on your your trainer Terry head again. And I want you to answer whether... If his best tactic, therefore, going forward, were he to get the Bellew rematch, would it benefit him to lose weight? Okay, so my answer is, if he was able to do the road work and the sparring and so forth, I imagine he would have come in at the top end of 15, bottom end of 16 stone. He'd have come in at least 8 or 9 pounds lighter. But, more importantly, the weight he would have had on would have been active weight. It would have been weight that had been doing nothing but fighting. And there's a difference. You can hit the bag as much as you like and get in good shape. Nothing beats the conditioning you get from having been hit. You know, where your your nervous system's desensitized. So psychologically being hit hard doesn't affect you. Bellew came off sparring guys like Chisora, big lumps that were hitting him. So psychologically being hit by Hay wasn't a big leap. But if you haven't been sparring for ages, getting hit in the face and you're like, Ooh. and everyone does that. It takes weeks to get that that mental toughness to cope with that. So I just genuinely think if David Hayes in a position to spar for eight weeks before a Bellu rematch, he walks it. Simple as that. Final question. Do you think the rematch is going to happen? Of course. The rematch happens. Road to redemption. Has David still got it? Was Tony Bellu a fluke? That's the stadium fight. Both men get rich. If David wins, there's a trilogy Richer. fight. Yeah. Richer. Use that word. <laughs> then there's a trilogy fight if David wins. 
if David doesn't win, he goes into the sunset with money. Tony Bellew cements himself as a legitimate heavyweight. There's no downside to those two rematches. But one thing I did want to yeah. touch on was... I would I would worry. I think that um, Eddie Hearn would have ulterior motives. He wouldn't want to give Hay the rematch because I think Eddie Hearn would feel like by not rematching him and giving him, like, feeding Bellew to potentially, like, say, Park or something like that, I think he'd rather do that than give Hay any sort of road back. But but so if if you remember, Bell Bell, you and Hearn don't have a contract. There's nothing in writing. It's all done in a handshake, according to Tony Bellew. So if Bellew says, "I want the rematch," the money's on the rematch happening. Well, I hope so. What were you going to say? Sorry. And I wanted to touch on Dave Caldwell. Um, I I gate crashed. Uh, the Raps on TV podcast on Thursday to catch up with Caldwell. They didn't give me a chance to really say what I wanted to say. So I'm going to use my platform to say what I wanted to say. And I'll be I'll be brief about this. Dave Caldwell's a man that's hard to like and Dave Caldwell's a man that's hard to dislike. He's one of these really strange characters that depending in what context you see him, he's either a really good, honest trainer or a guy that needs to just shut the fuck up sometimes. <laughs> I like him. I like Dave Caldwell because... I think he's overachieved in life. And people slagged him off about the Gavin McDonald fight, if you remember. And they said, you know, is Dave Caldwell overrated as a trainer? And I said to myself, in one corner, you've got Dave Caldwell. In the other corner, you've got Nacho Berry Stern, trainer of guys like, you know, Juan Manuel Marquez and God knows how many other Mexican world champions. And I'm like, you can't compare the two. You know, Dave Caldwell's a guy who will take a plucky young fighter and take him to as far as their talent can go. And that's brilliant. And he's made a good career doing that and he's made a good living. Some of the stuff that's happened in the aftermath of the Hey Bell you fight hasn't really left a good taste. I wish these guys were honest and said, we just bought a ticket for the lottery and our numbers came up. But I don't like hearing all of this. It was a scientific approach. We really knew what we were doing. and We were confident we were going to win. I'm not buying that for a second unless they had inside information. What I do give him credit for is improving Bellew as a boxer. So Bellew both in terms of head movement and foot movement, is a far better boxer than he was against Adonis Stevenson. And that's a credit to Dave Caldwell, you know, and you have to give him a a pat on the back for that. I think people should give Caldwell a hard time because the Sky Hype machine are trying to build him up as a super trainer like they did with Joe Gallagher. And what we're realizing is none of these British guys are super trainers. And the reason they're not super trainers is you look at them and you go, who did you learn under? Caldwell learned under Adam Booth, but... Adam Booth's not a lifelong boxing trainer. He'll admit that. He comes from a background of physical preparation, not necessarily boxing skills, tactics, which he's had to learn on the job as well. So these guys haven't had that old school seasoning. And I don't think many British coaches have. And this is why our guys can get to the top level when the odds are in their favor. But against the odds, they don't win. Because if you look at America, you can't be a coach unless you came up under someone who was respected. And it's the same thing in Mexico. You've got to serve your apprenticeship under the grades. Freddie Roach came under Eddie Fudge. You know, all these, all those sorts of, all those sorts of guys built the Bill Millers, the people who came up under Bill Miller. And that's how you learn how to box. So there'll be guys that come up under Floyd Mayweather Sr. And they'll take all that knowledge down. The guys that come up under Virgil Hunter will take that knowledge down. And we need to get more of that in this country, in my opinion. I did actually listen to uh, an interview of Dave Caldwell and he did say, I mean, this is paraphrasing him to, you know, within an inch of his life, but he sort of said something along the lines of, it seems to be boom and bust in boxing training at the moment. 
you either you're either the best in the world or you're terrible. And when you lose a fight, people slate you as not good enough. And when you win a fight, suddenly you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Would you agree with that? Well, well he's buying into the he's buying into the hype himself. You know, he should just keep a low profile and say, "We bought a ticket for the lottery. We won. Best boxing for you. You win some, you lose some. I'm just going to go back now, and focus on my camp. Um, but I am going to defend him against all the internet people slagging him off, and this is why." <laughs> The hardest thing you can do in life is make a bet on the future. Now, I'm a coach and I train guys. And my job is to make a bet on the future. It's to say, look, if you're going to fight this guy for the heavyweight, you know, the English amateur heavyweight belt, here's how I think he's going to come into the fight. I have to make that bet on that fight. And I have to, you know, set everything up to do that. If I am wrong on the night, which is possible, Everyone is an expert afterwards. Everyone's an expert looking backwards, but no one's brave looking forwards except for your coaches and your fighters. In fact, your fighters only live in the moment. Their job's not to look forward. And that's that. I think that's my inherent frustration with these things. And he's right about boom and bust, but as fans, you have to be sympathetic and say, before you criticise Caldwell, before you criticise Shane McGuigan, go back to before the fight and what were you saying the keys to victory were? Chances are, that's what they try to implement in the fight. And now after the fight, you're now saying, oh, he should have done this differently. No, that's not how it works. You know, everyone's an expert. I call it the Spencer Fearon thing, where you can call yourself the knowledge because you're looking backwards. <laughs> and you have all the information of the past to go off. Look forwards. Tell us how things are going to go. Because if you are that knowledgeable about the future, take some fighters, win some stuff, come back and tell us how easy it is. I do believe Spencer Ferron did uh, correctly uh, guess that um, Kel Brook was going to beat Triple G. He definitely beat him, right? Knocked him out. Yeah, visualised to materialise. Yeah, yeah, so, so that was impressive. Okay, right. Apologies if that bored you. 25 minutes of talking purely about what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> and milking Terry for every last bit of info on it. But uh, right, we'll crack on with stuff related to this week. Lemieux versus Stevens. I saw parts of this fight and I thought Lemieux looked pretty good. So that knockout was a sickening as well. So, so it's interesting. Uh, here you have two guys who basically just got de- decimated by Golovkin. Um, Golovkin gave both men a hiding. Wasn't really in trouble in either fight. So they fight each other to see who's the best of the also rounds. Um, Curtis Stevens always looks like a guy who's too big for middleweight he should have probably boxed at light middle but obviously he's made the choice to step up Lemieux I think is a competent middleweight hard punching middleweight not the best as a boxer doesn't seem to have a brain I call them corner to corner boxers as you know like they take their instructions implement them come back for more instructions Lemieux will not make a decision in the ring of his own accord he's not that sort of boxer can you describe either of them as sloggers because well, they were abs- they were th- just throwing bombs at each other in but, this fight. But if you remember, like, there was a lot of animosity in the build-up to this, which ended with, you know, once you get in the ring, you're going to let those hands go for at least a couple of rounds till it calms down. But neither of them wanted to back down, so they kept swinging until you got to the third round. And actually, if you watch the knockout, it's really interesting. Um, it's something we talk about in gyms, about you've got to train to your natural tempo. Everyone has a fight tempo. You know, when you're punching, it might be bang, 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 or it might be bang, bang, bang. But whatever that tempo is, 
you always have to train to it. And what Lemieux did is he broke his own tempo. So if you watch that knockout back, if you notice, he throws a jab in a right hand. The right hand catches Stevens. And Stevens immediately expects the left hook to come up. So he defends the le- expecting the left hook. He puts his right hand up to catch a left hook in order to counter back with his left hook. But what Lemieux was smart about was he kept his right hand on Stevens's chest to keep him pinned and to delay the left hook. So as he's now throwing, it's as Stevens is throwing his left hook, he's bringing his right hand, which he's tried to protect the shot from, he's now bringing it back down to throw his left hook. And in response, Lemieux throws his left hook while bringing his hand up to protect himself. So he never got hit clean, but he hit clean on Stevens's chin and completely took him out. Just knocked him unconscious. Hell of a punch. It was a nice bit of boxing there. Just just an example of how really good fighters are able to to break that temper and just almost think outside the box, which doesn't sit well with what I said about Lemieux earlier. But it was a nice little touch to just to, just to see that little bit of intelligence to to keep the right hand in there for a quarter of a second longer draw the draw the defense and as Stevens is coming back he's almost turning onto the punch as well which amplified the impact yeah that 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 knockout like I say was pretty horrific <laughs> it was impressive um but he, he Stevens just falls falls almost out the ring he's just so gone but uh but it's the point though you, you have to ask yourself why is Stevens even trying to fight off the ropes he's not a fighting off the ropes sort of person Stevens is a bully. He likes to bully from centre ring. That's how he boxes. Lemieux likes to bully from centre ring. Those guys should have just been in a phone booth in the middle of the ring. But Stevens, there was just something off about him, or maybe we've seen the best of him already. Um, I know this is gonna this is gonna sound crazy, but why, if you were a boxer in a fight, could you ever throw two punches at the same time? Like if you just threw with both hands, like. Well, no one would ever expect this. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I realise that you leave yourself open for counter punches or whatever, but that's like double attack. I don't know how you would, A, defend against that. You kind of, as your arms lock out, you're kind of protecting yourself. To I mean, I realise it would make a terrible boxing match if all they did was try and do that. But has anyone ever tried that? I don't think you can. So I, th- I think the ref will do you for unsportsmanlike conduct. But... There's just practical issues. You're not going to generate any power on those punches. Yeah. No matter what your karate instructor tries to tell you, you're not <laughs> generating any meaningful power off those two punches at the same time. You're going to shorten your range so you're there to have your head taken off anyway. Um, you know, you throw both hands, your body's open. So if I've ducked under, I'm going to definitely try and hit you in the yeah. liver. It, it, it will be the worst of all possible worlds. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for treating if, that stupid question with, no, with if, some if, sort of dignity, if, if, to be fair. If you, if you were going to innovate <laughs> boxing-wise, I've always said this, I think the next innovation in boxing is the guy who can just throw lead shots of both sides, no backhand power shots, all lead shots, and that will be interesting. So a guy who literally just throws jabs and hooks from the southpaw in the orthodox stance. Oh, it'll be the equivalent of a tennis player having a forehand, both left-handed and right-handed. Okay, um, Clarissa, here we go. Clarissa Shields versus... Do you know what? Sylvia Sabados, I think. Look, there's a lot of S's, a lot of Z's. Sylvia Sabados. I don't know. I don't know that bird. 
Look, look, look. Gotta take that. Gotta take that. <laughs> Clarissa Shields's marvelous, wondrous, unpronounceable opponent is what I'll call her. Um, so yes, tell us about this fight, Terry. I think this is the fight where we realise female boxing is probably dead in the water as a commercially viable oh product. God, don't say it, Terry. In Clarissa Shields, I genuinely think we have the best equipped person to take women's boxing to that next level. I don't think Katie Taylor, I don't think Nicola Adams, I don't think anyone has that ability to inflict violence in the way that Clarissa Shields does. She, I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I think she's awesome. She's incredible. That but, sounds positive. Why would it be the end then? Okay. So this Sylvia Shibaga, whatever her fucking name is, and quite frankly, <laughs> I don't know what sandwich <laughs> factory they scraped <laughs> her from in Swindon <laughs> to fight. <laughs> That's how I felt watching the fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. No, but look, they scraped this lady up off some sandwich factory somewhere or some fitness first in Tottenham Court Road or wherever the hell it is. They feed her to Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields realises there's going to be nothing coming back because, quite frankly, this woman couldn't box. And I know people say she boxed Kelly Morgan and, you know, congrats to Kelly for beating her, but this woman was absolutely garbage. For headlining a pay-per-view bill, it was absolutely embarrassing. Clarissa Shields knew nothing was going to come back, just had fun and was just teeing off. And what I did like was the viciousness with which Clarissa Shields was just delivering blow after blow after blow. There was no mercy. And that excites me. But I think in fighting Frontier Cruz on her debut, Clarissa Shields has had her toughest fight in her professional ranks. I don't think she'll have a tougher fight than that. I don't think there's anyone who's going to give her a tougher fight than Frontier Cruz did. So why am I going to watch her now? I don't care about the belts because she's better than anyone who's got a belt. She's better than the woman in the weight class above. Clarissa Shields will beat the heavyweight champion. I don't, you know, the, the, I don't care about anything else until you find me someone who's as scary as Clarissa Shields. I don't care about female boxing. It's the same with Katie Taylor. Until you show me someone who is as vicious as she is, I don't care about female boxing. And shout out to the ladies who are doing it as a recreational activity. I fully respect you doing that. I'm not paying to watch those sorts of piss poor mismatches. Give me people who legitimately have a chance of winning. And let's do that. Because. Okay, to play devil's advocate, people, males, men's boxing gets this sort of thing set up all the time. But the guys, no, no, no. But every male boxer can box, right? There's a certain level of competence they have reached already. <laughs> and, and no, 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 no. You may, you may look at some of these journeymen and go, he's shit. He just got knocked out. Fine. But in the gym, that journeyman can do what a boxer needs to do. They, you saw the woman that fought Clarissa Shields. She couldn't do anything. Right, so could, she had one salute block on the left-hand yeah, side, I, and that was the only I thing feel she this could needs do. Correct context, in as much as are you saying that the uh, the the talent pool is deep enough in male boxing so that when you're dragging people up nine times out of ten, they can actually still box. Whereas women's boxing, the talent pool is so light or so so shallow that we're bringing in people that genuinely can't protect themselves and and participate. Well, enough. I, is that uh, look, 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 look. That 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 that's Sevilla Sabago, whatever a stupid name sure, is, sure. whatever she's called. I will pick a woman out of any random virgin active 
who weighs about 75 kilograms, and I am confident they could give her a fight. Even if they've never boxed before, I'll train them for a week, and they'll give that Zabago a... a she'll, they'll give her a fight. And that's how bad she was. And this is nothing against Clarissa Shields, because I think Clarissa Shields has done everything right. It upsets me that no one else has stepped up, no trainers, no one has stepped up and delivered someone of that standard. So it would seem to me that the biggest problem is people arranging these matches and using people or women that are not capable of participating at the equal level as the opponent. Like feeding feeding some bloke but, out of a pub to but, David Hay would be would be just as bad. I agreed, and it would be embarrassing, you know? And then people go, oh, what about the Cobra? But the Cobra had fought 29 times and had won. He was undefeated. Yeah, okay, you can say the Cobra was a bum, but the people he beat must have been bums. So he's a bit of a level above a bum. But let's take a step back. I think there's a wider thing in women's boxing, and it's this. We're trying to run before we can walk. If women's boxing wants to grow, it has to understand this. It will take at least a generation, if not a generation and a half, to build a talent pool that is solid enough that you have a product. At the moment, you know, I'm hearing people say, why don't you have more weight classes in women's boxing? So... They want to, they're talking about you need a weight class above 75. And my argument immediately is, name me 10 female athletes who look in shape above 75 kilograms. I don't think anyone can. Off the top of my head, these are the women I've seen in the flesh and said, you are in good shape and they're over 75 kilograms. Jay Johnson, six foot one, 77 kilograms when she competed. Um, Anna Laurel Nash boxed in the Olympics at 75. She's six foot one. Um, now we're starting to struggle Jade Lally who is a GB athlete as well I think she does the discus she's 6 foot 1 and she's 83 kilograms but these are all very big women it's, they're, 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 they are anomalies number 1 number 2 for their size and their physical gifts there's a number of more lucrative sports they could get involved in so having an 81 kilogram class in boxing ex- it just allows people to stop making weight. 75 is high enough. I, I can't name 10 people who want to see boxing at 81. But what it also does, and I hope people pay attention to this, it creates an incentive for women to take drugs. That's the worrying part. If you're a 71 kilogram lady and you know you're not good enough to beat the middleweights, you're just going to say, screw this, I'm going to box at 81. So now you're taking your half a tablet of Anavar a day you're taking your growth hormone or your GHRP6 and you're going to get all the wrong sort of people coming into the sport trying to win an Olympic or Commonwealth medal. And I say this all the time. You really want to know if someone is doping or there should be a red flag here. Simple. If you start to see people coming into boxing at 75 or 81 or 81 plus and they come from rugby, drug test them. If they come from weightlifting, drug test them. If they come from CrossFit, drug test them. If they definitely come from bodybuilding, drug test them drug test all of these female athletes that have come from these backgrounds and i am sure you will find widespread evidence of doping i trained a lady i'm not gonna i'll be brutally honest i trained a lady who wanted a box no i won't won't. um you know from new zealand looked in good shape but i looked at her and i was like you juice you could just tell from the way she looked she juiced and i was I, i had no issue there because she said to me look i used to do strong woman in new zealand i used to do bodybuilding in new zealand doping red flags to me but i have no issue those are sports that accept it but i said to her you know you're gonna have to do the sport clean 
Because number one, you can't run around with that sort of bulk at your weight. <laughs> no matter how strong you think you are, that doesn't translate into power. In the end, I sent it to a club, took a bit of a slapping. Boxing wasn't for her. Went back to strong woman. She's having a good time doing it. You know, take your anavine, your growth hormone, you're happy. <laughs> you know, you're going to raise kids that are fucked up, but it's all good. I mean, it, uh, given the amount of times that you have mentioned uh, how well male athletes um, have their, how well, how good they are at their Excel spreadsheet skills, I, and from what we know about budgets for WADA and whatever, there just isn't the appetite. There isn't, but here's the scary thing. To test for it. But here's the scary thing. If a guy takes 400 milligrams of test as a boost, he's still probably only 30 or 40% above the peak test levels of a normal male anyway. So the gap's not that wide. You start giving women 150 milligrams of test, which some are taking. You're taking them from having maybe twice the testosterone level to five or six times the testosterone level of the average female. That's fucking dangerous. And if you're aware of women doping and you're not talking to me or talking to the governing body about this, shame on you. Do not facilitate this behavior and be suspicious of anyone that looks too good to be true in the ring. I promise you. I was going to say in the ring because I, I look too, much, too good to be true sometimes. Ah, I don't want to send that. Yeah, <laughs> No, right, eh? Yeah. Listen, give it three years, man. You'll be on that. You'll be on the testosterone shots. I'm sure. I mean, my body's a temple, mate. So no, no. In terms of women's boxing, sort the doping problem out because at the larger weights, they're all at it. Yeah. I uh, I have a friend that works for Cambridge Research, and they make they make probably the best version of Anavar, which is a female athlete's favorite drug. And he was talking to me about this, and he's like, "Look, the number of females who are ordering this stuff." is ridiculous i've asked him to look at the the distribution spreadsheet i'll go looking for names that i know and if i find names i'm exposing them publicly oh god no no i'm i'm exposing people who i think are buying drugs. i'm not gonna say they're doping they're buying drugs because there's a young lady in wales whose dad got done and you know they basically they found a steroid factory in this guy's house and and his daughter tried to say i wasn't taking any of this stuff and i was like i'm not taking anything exactly (laughs) So she, she, she got banned. I think she's allowed back in competition this year, but she took a four year ban because it's a problem, especially in, there are steroid hotspots, you know, South Wales in the valley, steroid hotspots. So that's what women's boxing has to deal with. It's, it's, it's messed up. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into all of these people Instagramming their little meaningless achievements or nothing. This is just a disgrace at the moment. Oh God. I just don't, I, I don't even, that just feels like, um, whilst Terry takes a breath and his vocal cords smoke off. Um, that feels like an absolute minefield of slander. So, sue me if I'm wrong. Sue me. Okay, I'll keep take it the test. Mind. I will pay anyone that says he's making stuff up. I'll pay for the drugs tests. I'll pay for them. Okay, let's find out what happened at York Hall this weekend with our very own Martin Theobald live by satellite uplink. Click. So yeah. That's but so. Hey, Martin, what's happened at York Hall this weekend? Yeah, I was down at the York Hall last night watching the Goodwin uh, Boxing Knuckle to Knuckle show. There were quite a lot of uh, debutants. It was a bit of a kind of prospect show in a lot of ways. Uh, a few debutants. Interesting couple of uh, lads that have been out on the road as kind of journeymen that are having their first home fights. A big shout out uh, in that regard there to Ricky French, who uh, he had a cracking fight. 
down twice himself, but stopped the guy in the uh, fourth round. Uh, a couple of upsets. Jermaine Camero got uh, beaten on points. Really interesting fight against Ross Jameson. Ross Jameson, uh, northern lad, is now living down south. Camero just couldn't deal with the height difference. He was too tall for him. Kept just connecting with air all the way through. Uh, well, Sam Barron, uh, light heavyweight, who was uh, 4-0 and going into the fight. Three stoppages. He got beaten by a Hungarian or Bulgarian, Hristio Njonev. Um Quick mention for Adrian Martin, who looked uh, really, really good in beating Liam Griffith. Liam Griffith is the uh, kind of archetypal journeyman character, um, but he was getting caught with a lot of shots, which you don't normally see Liam getting caught with. And it was the best performance I've seen to date from uh, from Adrian Martin. Uh, what else? Then Nick Parper, big kind of cruiserweight slash, I think they were doing it last night, a heavyweight. He was going into it 3-0, and uh, all his fights via stoppage. He got given a real test against a guy called Jan Hrazidira, I think, something like that. Uh, first time he's gone the distance. Nick's got huge power, but I think he suddenly learned that come round three, that power isn't necessarily there. So he had to go back to using some boxing skills. Uh, but biggest test that he's had to date. Then there was uh, the Fight Cup semi-final. Ozzy Gervier versus Jose Lopez. We said last week Lopez is um, the more skillful, slick, stylish boxer of the two. He proved that all the way through. He was uh, he was smart in the ring. Gervier's shorter, just wanted to kind of get in and, and take the fight on the inside to uh, Lopez. Lopez dealt with it well until the ninth round where he caught this uppercut, um, takes a left hook and then takes a right cross. Um, ninth round goes down onto the canvas. I'm not sure if he was uh, finished or not, but he goes to get up. And as he does that, um, one of his corner team comes behind me and says to him, no, go back down, finish, like take the count. And the ref interpreted that as his legs had gone and just called the fight off. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think it was probably the right stoppage in fairness. I'm not sure it would have benefited him to carry on. Uh, then the main event was a southern area light heavyweight title fight. Jordan Joseph, young 21-year-old, taking on Chris Hobbs uh, from out of Portsmouth. Chris, uh, shorter guy again, just getting in and using his work rate all the way through. Jordan's a very composed boxer, um, but he doesn't really go through the gears enough for my liking. There were a couple of times when he attacked with a bit of spite, but otherwise he just doesn't get enough in behind his shots and isn't happy enough to, to go through the gears and really up the work rate. And that's how Chris won the fight. A couple of mentions from uh, the evening. It was really nice to see Liam Conroy, uh, again, another journeyman, but he's kind of uh, stopped going out on the road and started to work a few corners now. Got his trainer's license. Uh, just really enjoying working, being in the corners, G and his lads up between rounds. It's great to see him uh, still in the, the game. Shannon Courtney, who uh, female Southern Area champion, uh, recently joined Islington Amateur Boxing Clubs down there. Had a quick catch up with Shannon. Um, I think she's talking of uh, possibly looking at going pro next year. And I think she... You know, she's a good fighter, very marketable young lady, nice young lady, um, got the right look for it. I think she she could make a big difference in the pro game. Uh, similar Angela Hebden, who uh, you know, first good win female fighter that's been signed, was down there. I catch up with her, she's getting itchy knuckles, wants to get in there and fight. She hasn't been in the ring since 2015 in a kickboxing fight. Um, so yeah, she'll, uh, she'll be in in June, hopefully. Quick catch up with um, James Lupton and Sam O'Reilly. Um, do the fight talk and round eight stuff. It was good to see them down there. 
Uh, spent the evening with Andrew Fairley, who uh, himself is out of Portsmouth, was there uh, writing for Boxing News. Really, really nice bloke. Um, so that was a pleasure to, to sit with him and Brooke Stretfield. I always spend the evening with. Um, does a lot of writing herself, so shout out to Brooke. Uh, Ashley Theophane was down there watching. Now, Ashley Theophane's been making noises about wanting Ricky Burns um, based upon the additional timber that Ashley had on himself last night. I don't think we'll be seeing him uh, in at that weight category anytime soon. The final one quickly was uh, there's a rumour about Jamie Fox, uh, Jamie Cox, sorry, rather than Jamie Fox, the actor. Jamie Cox, um, I've been hearing about he's possibly signed with Eddie Hearn. So a fighter who's got huge potential, people talk about him being a real weapon, um, super middleweight who's now in line to fight the winner of um, Rocky Fielding. Uh, whoever he's fighting for the uh, John Ryder for the British super middleweight title Jamie Cox is in line to fight the winner of that there's a strong strong rumour that he's signed with Eddie Hearn so uh, that'll be an interesting one to see if that you know materialises or not that'll be moving away from Frank Warren um, yeah so there you go cheers thanks Martin um, with that I just t- let me just turn off the uh, live satellite feed now <laughs> excellent uh, I'll just turn it on and off again. <laughs> it likes to be turned on and off, and then on and off again. Yeah, it's just it's just a bit bit of a strange old system. So it's a Russian one. Yeah, yeah. Same as uh, like it was it's the it's the na- it was the same as the name generator machine that brought up Clarissa Shields' opponent. Maybe the same company. Yeah, yeah. Right, we have a couple of questions. Simon Thompson asks us to please explain the differences between Eddie Hearn and Vince McMahon phone freeze. That doesn't mean anything to me. So if we ignore the phone freeze, um, go back a few podcasts. We said Eddie Hearn was heading in this direction. Why? Because if you look at the WWE, they generate $700 million in revenue. That's 20 to 25 times the size of the whole matchroom empire. So then you look at it and go, what are they doing that matchroom on? They just They sell stories, they sell fantasy, but they put on a hell of a show. And, and that's great commentators. Oh my yeah. god! Well, but the commentators are in on the story. Yeah, and yeah. that's the whole point. It's jobs for the boys. There's so many parallels between what Vince and Eddie are doing. But is that is that bad? No, because it's selling, and the boxing purists will get upset about what's going on at the moment. But let's be honest, it's selling. It's selling. It's getting more people talking about the sport. It's allowing people like JFB Sports Round Eight. Um, Box Raw, Amoware. Um, who else? Who else sponsors me? <laughs> Guys, sort it out. All of these brands who are now trying to tap into this interest in boxing, it's allowing those guys to eat as well. You know, supplement companies, glove manufacturers, Raging Beasts, uh, Kahuna's who are making underwear now, boxing-related underwear. All of these guys are allowed to live because Eddie Hearn is putting out the word and he's put he's taken it squarely on his shoulders to do that so fair enough like i don't necessarily agree with all of it but the ecosystem that it's supporting now means that boxers have a chance to make a living and those who are passionate about the sport can also have a route into making a living doing it i have a question in relation to the whole um parallels between boxing and wwe and that is like surely in terms of creating compelling storylines the mere fact that the that the whole sport is effectively under control gives will always give wrestling 
uh, a much easier chance of making these compelling storylines, won't it? Because, uh, you know, they can, can control okay. what's going on. But, for example, Vince McMahon couldn't give you Frotch Groves. He couldn't. Because there was something that was so real about that, that it just transcended sport, society, everything. That's what boxing gives you because deep down, at the, at the end of all the, the hype and the talk and the nonsense, two men walk into that ring with eight or ten ounce gloves and knock lumps out of each other. I, I accept that, but that's only that's only useful when you've got two people that are willing, that basically their styles match to a degree where they can put on a good show, right? But how many wrestling bouts stink? Look, when, when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker, how underwhelming and, you know, that, that was just underwhelming. And it turned out to have been the wrong thing for that business to do because now they've lost their streak and it didn't really take Brock Lesnar to the next level. So WWE make, they make missteps as well. It's just that they have so many contact points with their fans compared to Matchroom that they can make it right again pretty much the next day. Okay, um, Simon Thompson also asks, how many Sun newspaper puns can Coogan Cassius use in his for his videos? Well, look, Coogan has his lane now, right? Coogan's not going to be the the deeply inquisitive, journalistic type interviewer. Coogan's going to find a story that gets clicks and views. That's his model. He gets paid, you know, by the number of people who click. MTK Global pay him because he gets those clicks, as do William Hill. So he doesn't care about the purity of the sport. He cares about click, click-throughs. That's what he cares about. And as long as he can tempt you in with headlines such as beef or heated exchange or head-to-head, then he's good. If you want him to be better, demand better content. You know, go and talk to guys like Sam O'Reilly from Fight Talk. You know, you know, Look, even, even Martin Theobald, if you really want decent con- content where it's not about the clicks, it's about the boxing narrative, start looking at alternative views, you know. Don't always just go to Coogan because Coogan has his own objectives. He's got his own family to feed and respect. I respect him for that. You really want good content? New Age Boxing. Martin Theobald will give you that. The Seven Wolves will give you that. You know, the the Fight Talk Boys will give you that. The Pep Talk Lads will give you that. Just go and find your outlets and you'll be fine. David McGinley asks, now that Eddie Hearns and Frank Warren's stables are firm, compare them by each weight class. Uh, we have, you know, we, we're, we're quite time compressed. So let's just, let's give people the helicopter view. So if we look at the heavyweights, you know, Frank Warren has definitely under contract, Daniel Dubois, definitely under contract, Nader Ball. Two young guys, different levels of ability i think daniel dubois far more seasoned far more experienced there are rumors of him standing anthony joshua on his head and sparring not sure can't confirm or deny that but what i can say is i've seen the kid spar he's the truth nail a ball good technician last time i saw him fight he was a young man he got beaten by one of the guys that i train so i've seen him from that perspective but i've also seen he's grown and he's filled out a bit so he looks a good prospect in the heavyweights, Warren also has relationships with guys like Fury, both Huey and Tyson. So you look at it, the heavyweights and go, I think Frank Warren's got the firepower to go head-to-head with Eddie Hearn in that one. Because who has Hearn really got? Hearn has Dave Allen, Lewis Ortiz, and Anthony Joshua. Um, Joshua, the most marketable out of a lot of them. 
um, in Lewis Ortiz, you have a dangerous destroyer, but one who I feel most of the Warren guys could deal with. And in Dave Allen, you have, you have a fight. Look, I like Dave Allen, but Dave Allen will hold a British belt if things go his way. Um, I think a level above, he'll struggle, but he'll always give a great account of himself. But you have to hand that one to, I'd give that one to Frank Warren. Um, you know, let, let, let's not go down the trifling weight. So we go down, we will skip cruiser because there isn't really anyone to get excited about. Let's look at light heavyweights. So Eddie Hearn signed Frank Buglioni now. Um, would you put him head to head with Anthony Yard in the Warren camp? I think Anthony Yard's probably a better fighter. Untested over the distance, but I don't think that fight goes the distance. So another one to Warren. You know, Martin's a lot better at this. I'm sure Martin's prepared his list and there'll be a logical explanation. I don't have to see that. Um, super mid. This is where it gets tricky. So I don't think Warren has any super mids of any note. Um, unless you could get a relationship with George Groves, which I don't expect. So then Hearn has influence with DeGale and he clearly has some influence with Groves. He wins that one. Middleweight, Billy Joe Saunders on one side of the line for Frank Warren. Um, who's Eddie really got? John Potentially Ryder. Potentially the Eubanks. He uh, did. He didn't. He said recently that he would consider. It was his fault. It was his fault that the Triple G fight fell through. This is Eubank Senior, and then he said that he'd be open to working with Eddie Hearn again, didn't yeah, he? If if Hearn had Eubank Junior in the stable, then that would be him in charge. Um, bypass. Super, uh, super welter or light mid. Let's look at the welterweights. Um, Hernes Kel Brook, he wins that one comfortably. You, know, you can have Bradley Skeet or you want Kel Brook's Kel Brook. Um, then we get to the interesting bit now. So, light welter. Eddie has O'Hara Davis. Uh, Frank Warren. I'm not sure if he has a relationship with Jack Cattrall. If he does, that's a nice head to head. But then they don't have Josh Taylor. Hearn. They have Tyrone Nurse as well, so maybe give that one to Frank Warren. Lightweight. I think lightweight Hearn has that locked. You've got Crawler. You've got, what do you call him, Luke Campbell. And the list goes on. So Hearn has that one. And at that point, I lose interest. <laughs> yeah, but enough, but it's, 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 it's I lost interest a little while ago in terms of weights. It's, <laughs> it's relatively even. The, what we're really interested about is who's got the better up-and-coming stable. And Warren has invested well in his up-and-coming stable. But he's looking for different things. I think Frank's happy to start wide and go narrow. So he's happy to funnel down his list of prospects. Eddie Hearn will start narrow because he has very specific requirements. And then he'll broaden that out later. So it's it's even. Um, in terms of marketability, you've got to give it to Hearn and the Sky Hype Machine. In terms of pure boxing ability, you've got to give it to Frank Warren at the moment. Fantastic. David McGinley asks us also to break down Jacobs versus Golovkin, but we will talk about that a little later on. So, we have a few and bizarre questions that Terry's asked me not to overthink and just say them. From Anonymous, is Matchroom in danger of becoming a pantomime promotion? Yes, uh, that press conference in Liverpool was probably a step too far. I'd imagine Eddie Hearn wouldn't be doing that again. It got to a point where, you know, it felt like a publicity stunt for the sake of it. Let's just make fights that sell themselves and then boxing isn't a pantomime. 
Lemieux versus Eubank Jr. Thoughts? I was thinking that yesterday. I, I think I think Eubank betters Stevens into submission. I also think Eubank betters Lemieux. The punch volume's too much. Lemieux's good when the punch volume is quite low. But I think you also need a damn good jab. If you look at Golovkin, Golovkin broke him down with a jab because Lemieux's head movement isn't isn't that good. His sense of timing isn't that great. He tends to bludgeon his opponents because he's always used to being the dominant one in terms of power and strength. So I think Eubank Jr. will be a good test for him. And I think Eubank beats both of them. Um, is Eubank, is that Junior, uh, Eubank Jr.'s only, I say only, I don't mean to just sort of like just write it off, but like, is that his greatest strength, punch accumulation? Is that what he'll always sort of, re- is that what his leading MO will be as a boxer? Yeah, his defence is pretty good as well. Remember, as a coach, I, I work the opposite way to boxing fans where level one for me is you've got to be able to defend yourself. You've got to be able to make your opponent miss. Then level two is from that, you've got to be able to control what's going on in the ring. So the fight only happens when and where you want it to happen. You know, finally, I will look at your attack and go, how do you attack? Because your attack is meaningless if the other two aren't in place. So for me, Eubank has a pretty good defense. He makes people miss when he wants to. Um, he takes shots only when he realizes the person's not going to hurt them. And that's good. He needs to work on his sense of control. But offensively, wow. Um, he'll just he'll overwhelm you eventually to the point where he's like I don't need this anymore for me one of the most fascinating questions about that weight division still is Eubank Jr. versus Billy Joe Saunders who wins for you were it to happen this year um, I think Eubank Jr. wins mainly because you know it burns in him that he lost the last time I also think Billy Joe's just off form because he's not fought regularly enough and you know you can just see you can see where Eubank would win it. You know conditioning, punch volume, pressure. If he could do it from round one till the bell, yeah, he's laughing. I remember watching the original fight, and I I didn't see Billy Joe like walk that fight by any measure. And actually, at the time, maybe a little less educated, I thought that uh, Eubank had won it. But you know, nah, he start he started too late. If he had started in round three, even he'd probably won that fight. Has anyone ever seen Batman and the Podfather in the same room? I don't, I don't well, even know what this means. Well, well, no, no, people should ask the more important question. <laughs> Has anyone ever seen Jabby Alonso and the Podfather <laughs> in the same room? You know, that's, that's, that's what we want to know. You know, when, when he retires from Bayern at the end of the season, you guys will understand what, what football's going to miss. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's my long lost Spanish brother. going to be reunited at some stage. <laughs> That'd be an awkward moment Separated if you guys bump into each other. I think we are the same age as well. So you maybe we were. Person, maybe yeah. we are twins. I don't know. Bizarre. Mm. Tyra McKenna versus O'Hara Davis. Question mark. Uh, people getting hyped by this this Warren card in Belfast or whatever. Look, O'Hara Davis is levels above whoever. And you know he's levels above because now the Americans are talking about O'Hara Davis. They're talking about O'Hara Davis against guys like Amir Iman and all these sorts of guys. You know, they literally, you know, I'm impressed that guys like Jack Catron and O'Hara Davis are now on the lips of the Americans. And they're saying, look, you know, it's not long till Crawford has to fight guys like O'Hara Davis. You know, that's that's the biggest compliment you can give O'Hara Davis. Tyrone McKenna's not there yet. I know people will tell me, give it a year or two. 
But by then, O'Hara Davis would have been, he'd be in a whole different place. Um, and, f- well, not finally, actually, but um, Sam Khan has also asked, let's say also, Sam Khan mentioned, has asked us to talk about Bellew apparently commenting, I had no idea he was injured. I thought, actually, oh, you know what, I'm not qualified for this. You oh, need my- to write, you need to say it, because I can't do you can oh you got to start with this right now it's right now do it right now I thought he was saying let's go then let's do it right now right okay I'm sorry everyone who's listening if you're offended or just generally just annoyed by the crapness of my accent impersonation uh, Bellia basically says I had no idea he was injured I thought he was tiring round by round if I knew he was injured I would have really put my foot on the gas which is comp- I mean it's not even true like <laughs> you see his face he registers that David Hayes injured so it's just more trash talking I suppose already well, the thing is look Bellia has to be careful because he can't bury David because he needs the rematch if he decides to fight again he needs the rematch and all this rhetoric will change and he'll suddenly say do you know what Yes, I was on top of my game, but David wasn't. I still think I could beat him. I want him fully fit. That's the only way that I can sleep at night. All that stuff will happen again. But I, look, I've said it. The aftermath has been in pretty bad taste. I think David's handled it with great dignity and class, like the champion that he really is. Um, I think all those involved need to understand that you can't piss in the well where you need to make money. So, you know, let's hope, let's hope it's all resolved. You know, big shout out to Sam Khan, you know, increasing that boxing knowledge by the minute. All good, you know. Soon to be an expert. Okay, so I actually we we can't. I mean, we're while we're a while from the end of this podcast yet. Uh, but we, I feel the need. It wasn't on our agenda, but I feel the need to speak about Tyson Fury coming back. That's a massive injection into the heavyweight division. But the questions on whether he will be allowed to fight under the BBOC, um, BBBOC license and how the fact that he said he's going to fight under a bui license how does all this work i've always found so, that the so, difference between people boxing in a ring and people boxing in a car park is a line that's far too thin and it should be a bit more regulated but, so, but the mere fact that he could come back and just box on somebody else's license as much as i love the guy like it just seems wrong no so it, it all boils down to eu competition law and the idea that you can't no, no one should have a monopoly in any given country. So the British Board of Control shouldn't have a monopoly over who boxes in this country, especially vis-a-vis other European Union countries. It goes against right. the whole freedom of movement of labor. So you can get a boxing license anywhere in the EU and box in the UK un- unhindered. The reality is Fury is just waving a gun in the air, metaphorically speaking. He's just saying, listen, I could shoot you if I wanted to. So let's not be stupid. As long as the Furies are aligned to Frank Warren and Frank Warren provides as much money to the British board as he does, they're not going to go against Frank Warren because it's not inconceivable. Warren could just say to all of his guys, go and get Maltese boxing licenses. So how do they, how do they sidestep the whole um, positive test and all that sort of jazz? Um, as the BBC, uh, BBBFC came out, and when they talked about um, like Tyson Fury suspended, Tyson Fury has a lot of issues he needs to face, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Well, he'd have to sit in front of the board and say, look, doctors told me I'm over these mental issues or I'm taking this medication to cope with them. It's not likely to trigger any positive tests. And then they'll say, okay, 
you're fit to box. We're happy with that. But then there's the issue of the UK anti-doping challenge. And the thing is, it could just end up with Fury boxing in Ireland. If they say you can't box in the United Kingdom, he'll box in Ireland. Or he'll box in the States. He'll box Wilder in the States. I don't know. But the the, the reality of this anti-doping thing is, until these, you know, the authorizing bodies unite and say, look, if you're on one blacklist, you're on all blacklists. There's no point. But Fury's too lucrative to have him kicking his heels. The expectation is this. Look, you haven't been in the ring for a year and a half. You've served your ban. It's done. Carry on. That's what will likely happen. But the, they just want to be seen to be doing something. It's all that, it's all that you know, perception versus reality thing. 13th of May, he's earmarked to come back. I don't imagine he'll do it that That soon. seems a lot, yeah. It doesn't seem very much time to, to get no. down from 25 stone or whatever he's ended up being. No, well, remember, he's going to be in Huey's camp, right? He's going to be with Huey Fury when they fight over in New Zealand. So I don't think he'll be ready to fight, you know, maybe tail end of the summer. But let, let, uh, look, let him shift the weight first, see how he feels, bit of sparring. You know, he'll fight this year, I imagine, and then we'll see where he goes from there. Okay. Um, Glenn Conley, uh, it wasn't really a question for the podcast, but he messaged uh, No Age Boxing UK uh, and then aimed it at Martin, obviously, saying, you and Terry must both know that there wouldn't be British boxing if there wasn't an Eddie Hearn, right? Surely, Martin then countered with, there was a British boxing before Eddie and the sport won't end when he sails away. He does bring in money and opportunities for boxers. Would you expand on that answer or... So we've touched on a lot of it. British boxing will be different. I think Eddie's been a progressive force for boxing. He's, He's opened up new avenues. He's opened up new avenues, new opportunities. Um, he's, he's educated boxers to look at things differently. He's educated fans to look at things differently and to ask different questions. So Eddie Hearn's been good in that sense. He's given boxing a kick up the backside. Whether he's the man to take it to another level, we don't know yet. There might be someone else waiting in the wings to do that, but he was needed. So let's give him his credit. He's, look, Hearn's a good promoter. Let's be absolutely clear about this. Whether you like what he says, whether you agree with his demeanor, how he dresses, forget that. In terms of a man who can generate revenue where you wouldn't expect him to, Hearn's up there with the best of them. Okay, we move on. AJ OJ. Yes. Um, so I watched an absolutely fascinating documentary. Now, if anyone can get this, I know you guys all have your Cody boxes now. You know, everyone's dispensed with Sky. But, you know, always watch TV legitimately. We encourage fully compliant viewing and listening. Yes, we do. Yeah, Am I entirely look, Anti-drugs, anti-streaming, anti-just, you yeah, know. Don't think we are. I mean, like, there's two-thirds of the boxing podcast here, and I know at least one-third is pretty much aggressively pro-streaming. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <yeah. laughs> so, <laughs> and pro-babysitting right now. Yeah. Um, um, look. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I I don't feel the compulsion to defend Sky in any way. But anyway, that's a side point. Look, Carry but, on. Yeah, fa- so it's a fascinating documentary. It's called OJ Made in the United States and we're made in the Made in America. Sorry, and so it, it it's a five part series about OJ Simpson. When I first saw it, you know, shouts out to Sam Khan who put me onto this. I was a bit like, 
what the hell are they going to talk about for five episodes, all of an hour and a half each on OJ really? Simpson? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Look, I've got three into it and I was like, I'm not bored yet. But I was watching it. So, so everyone knows the OJ Simpson story in the 90s. But if you go back, OJ was like, a, he was a standout athlete, real freak of nature, did all kinds of rushing feats in the American football, you know, from yeah. high school. He was a really exciting player, wasn't he? Awesome. Like, look, watch that, watch OJ Simpson's highlight reel. He, a real graceful runner, um, reminiscent of a Marcus Allen, probably didn't have the aggression of a Herschel Walker, but he had that kind of elegance you like to watch. He wasn't punchy like Emmett Smith was for the Cowboys, but he was elegant. And, that, what, clearly, that clearly needs a bit of NFL knowledge yeah. in order to contextualize. But uh, but but what, was, I, what to, I, just what, to say the least, he was a supreme, yeah. f- light-footed and fast, strong athlete. Yes, just a, a phenom. Um, and what was interesting was watching how, even early in his sporting career, he was being viewed as a commercial brand already. So early into the NFL career, he was the po- he was the basically the face of Hertz car rentals, and you know, and all of this stuff was happening. But if we go back to the late sixties, when the Black Panthers tried to recruit OJ Simpson from the University of Southern California USC, the Trojan football program, and all of that, OJ Simpson was I think he said, "I'm not black, I'm OJ. I don't see myself in relation to race." And that credo is something he took through his whole life. And he'd never speak on race issues. And he'd never associate himself in those sorts of circles. So very rarely was he in pictures with black people, all these sorts of things, because he was so protective of his view to corporate America. He did, he never did anything that harmed that image of corporate America. And it worked while he did incredible things on the football field, because that was, the fuel that drove it but what happened when he lost the capacity to play football so he retired in i want to say 1981 in his final season with the san francisco 49ers and what you what you see in the subsequent episodes is his slow descent into realizing he's not the oj of old but he's still fighting to be the oj of old you you mean his public image yes the public image and just watching his slow descent as he now, you know, when you're looking from the outside, you realize he can't sustain this identity anymore because it's strange that who he, who he is. He grew up in a, in the projects in San Francisco, you know, with Al Cowlings, who was his friend from childhood all the way through to, you know, the 49ers when they retired. So they'd been together through college, university and the NFL. And you could see that he struggled mentally with these tensions. And so I was watching a lot of this and a lot of the way he was, you know, you're watching the interviews and how he's conducting himself in that really neutral way that AJ does, where AJ doesn't really have a view on anything. Like you ask him about a fighter, he'll say, I don't know about that fighter. I only care about me and what I can do. That that really neutral position, which is great if you're trying to sell, you know, products and brands, but must strip away at your sense of self-worth because what you started to realize was OJ was an egomaniac, you know, spur- I mean, he had a volcanic temper, was a prolific wife beater, was a philanderer. He had all of these, these messed up things that they kept hidden because he was OJ and he kept them hidden because he needed that corporate money. And I was watching and I remember just saying to myself, I hope AJ doesn't turn out like this because you can see 
how it can happen. There's too much money riding on Anthony Joshua at the moment for him to step out of line or do anything reckless. You know, you see David Hay. David Hay will be corporate, corporate, corporate. But every so often, David will just say what he thinks. You know, and that's why we like him. Whatever you think of David Hay, he's good in front of a microphone for that reason. But probably because of that, his commercial appeal is not what it could be. Whereas with Joshua, they're really looking to ring it out. So I pray that doesn't happen to AJ. But if you can watch that documentary, you, you do. You watch you watch OJ in the 70s and it feels like Anthony Joshua now. And I found I just found that really, really interesting. I said to myself, is this the only way you can market black athletes pop? profitably but um is there any indication that Anthony joshua's personality deep down is remotely like oj's because from like speaking from a completely unqualified position from the outside looking in he looks like a pretty mellow guy uh, and quite happy to sort of go along with the system that's been constructed around him so no heavyweight is ever mellow you, you can't walk into a ring and beat lumps out of a 20 stone man if you're mellow. We might be in that situation where we're not being fed what's really happening. But eventually we will. And when 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 stuff starts to come out, everyone revisit this podcast and go, yeah, he did say it would happen. <laughs> because everyone has dirt. If you're in the fight game, you lose your temper. You're you're probably someone who's quite highly strung. You're probably someone who's quite emotional because boxing is a sport of emotion. And what I mean by that is when you're getting your face punched in, it's not logic and reason that gets you out of that. It's heart, it's courage, it's emotion, it's desire. It's all these things that in the corporate world they tell you not to have. So being able to balance the two, tricky. Okay, let's move on. The World Super Series of Boxing has been announced. Um, just what is it going to entail? And is it going to be a success? Like, oof. Just break it down in lamest terms, what they're hoping for and whether it's going to happen or not. So I think a lot of boxing fans will remember the Super Six. And the Super Six was essentially getting six boxers to all fight each other. The two with the best winning records would fight each other and that would be crowned the best middleweight in the world. And that, just for um, context, included Carl Froch, Andre Ward. Well, Ward. Ward came in later, if you remember. I oh, can't okay. remember who he replaced. Did he replace Darrell? Maybe. But it was it was Froch. It was Darrell. It was Kessler. It was Abraham. Glenn Johnson was in there. It was a strong six. It, the, yeah, it was beyond Boxing. debate. Like, if you, if you won the Super Six... You deserve to be number one in the division. There was no question about that. There wasn't anyone lurking who could challenge that. I think Jermaine Taylor was in there as well, but I might be wrong on that. So, what weight are they looking to super series this? There'll be a, there'll be a few weight classes. I think the end game is to have all of them. They're talking about a fifty million pound prize as well. Is that for um, each division, or is that'll be in total? I think that's the right, total prize okay. fund. So let, let let's but let's take a step back and let's look at this. The same people who are behind this were agitating for the Champions League 20 odd years ago. So if we go back to that, let's look at what, what their, their rationale would be. And it would be this. When the big names face each other, people will pay extra for the privilege. Hence the Champions League. Oh, uh, oh right. Okay. So you, you, you're not, you weren't talking about trying to get a European league. 
What are you talking about? No, no, oh, sorry, well, well, no, no, but saying. that's where the Champions League came from. So originally they wanted to, if you, if you, if you remember, what they said to all the big European clubs was, okay, these English clubs are massive and they can't play in Europe. We want to build a European Super League where the the top four clubs from England, da, 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 we all just play each other. Forget all these other leagues. Don't care about them. We're just going to play Like each a other. permanent Champions League. Pretty much. Yeah, I remember that being touted at the time. Yeah. And then what we ended up with was the Champions League. But these are the guys who do all of that stuff. They agitate for these sorts of things because they realise when the big names play each other or fight each other, that's where the mo- real money is to be made. So that's what you'd do now, right? Set up a tournament, make it lucrative enough that people want to do it. They have Schaefer on board. They have Richard Schaefer. Um, Haymaker, Ringstar, Fame. They've got the Sauland brothers involved. But that's pretty much it. And and provisionally a pot of money. Um, if we replay an old podcast, we talked about how Al Heyman had spent a shitload of money on PBC and that hadn't managed to achieve what it needed to. Hence, all the amazing fights happening in Q1 now because he's chasing his money. My own view is this. There was another ESPN documentary. There's always an ESPN documentary for situations. And it was about the XFL. And if you look at the XFL, it was set up by Dick Ebersole and Vince McMahon. And it was basically to be a rival to the NFL. So after the Super Bowl, the XFL would then become the football that people watched. Wasn't, didn't this involve Donald Trump as well? No, no, that was the USFL. Oh, right, okay. Right, because they ended up, they ended up suing the NFL, didn't they, for the monopoly of uh, American football. And they won as well. Yeah. So, 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 so you had the XFL, which right, was trying sorry. to do something similar. Right. And it collapsed after a season because they'd been so good at hyping and marketing the thing, but the product was shit. Yeah, right. So, so you had guys who couldn't throw the ball, you couldn't catch the ball. It was too slippery. Like they hadn't had time to do all the stress testing you'd want to do of a product of that nature, but they spent millions hyping it up. And this feels a lot like that where they're trying to do something different in boxing, but it doesn't seem like they've had enough time to get the blueprint right. So I'm cynical about whether it will happen. From what I know, Bob Aaron's not involved. From what I know, Al Heyman's not involved. And from what I know, Bob Aaron's not involved. So this lacks legitimacy as long as those guys aren't involved. And there's probably no point in discussing it much more until those guys are involved, because all the fighters we'd really want to see are under those banners and under are under Warren and Hearn. So it yeah. doesn't look like it's going to fly yet. It certainly reeks to me of it's probably a bit harsh term to use, but like what I mean is like when there were talk, when there was talks of FIFA being corrupt, so we should leave FIFA, and then the prospect of having say an England side that can't actually play any other international team because they're not under the same governing body. It just reeks of that, like. You want to see if you want to see the big names fight, great, but you have to cons- you have to them allow them to fight within a construct that you control. And if yeah. you if you don't have that control, then it becomes worthless. Yeah, because Martin will come on next week and he'll do a better job than I have of selling this to you. I'm just like I don't. There's no real case for change, and I don't think these guys can do much more. We all got burnt by the Super Six because what the Super Six said was how oh, you guys fight when you want. So a tournament that really should have taken a year took forever. And by the end of it, no one really cared. Golovkin versus Daniel Jacobs. Now, this is potentially a good fight, but also potentially a smack-bound wallop job by Golovkin. Is that right? Um, let's go. 
let's go back to Jacobs versus Pirog. So, Danny Jacobs boxed Dimitri Pirog. Uh, Pirog, somewhat awkward, um, quite a stuttering style when he boxed, but the right hand he hit Danny Jacobs with, I mean, just starched him. So, don't know if Pirog's just a hellacious puncher or whether Jacobs has chin issues. Still don't know yet. What we can be certain of is Golovkin will hit him that hard. And if he hits the floor after Golovkin hits him that hard, this fight will be over pretty quickly. Um, but then in return, Jacobs also has fearsome power of his own. Now, the number of times he just put Sergio Mora on the floor, man, he, he can drop people for fun. You know, I mean, he, he dealt with Pete Quillen, you know, pretty decisively in a manner that would have impressed even Golovkin. So this is literally number one and number two in the division fighting each other. Let, let, let's let's not make a mistake about that. It will be about whether Danny Jacobs has has a jab and the foot speed to keep Golovkin off balance. Um, Golovkin will give us much of what he's given us before. He doesn't have to change. He might not respect Jacobs' power, and if he doesn't, it's going to be a short fight. If he does respect Jacobs' power, it might be an entertaining fight, but I can't see Jacobs winning. And I like Danny Jacobs. He has a good camp around him. Um, you know, one of the guys I know, Dave Honig is one of his trainers. Shouts out to Scooter. Scooter. But this is, it's, it's a step too far. Um, you know, but let's enjoy the fight while it lasts because I'm sure Jacobs will be going out all guns blazing. One of the more interesting characters in boxing, you know, I, I find him amusing. He's a good boxer. His story is incredible how he overcame cancer to box again. Let's never forget that. And let's appreciate that as well. And hopefully that gives him that extra steel he's going to need against Golovkin. But Triple G in that middleweight division is just a different beast. <laughs> My favourite um, expression that I've heard about you, well, that I've heard you say about Golovkin is that he makes you feel like you're fighting in a phone box. <laughs> I love that. Just the thought of you know, trying, to, trying to have a boxing match in a phone box. But I'll give you an example. I'll go back to when I was young and I used to spar big Dominic Akinladi. And Dom was like that as well. Dom was a lot taller than me, but Dom doesn't really like to box long. And Dom's massive. So Dom would literally block out the light. You're trying to spar Dominic <laughs> and he's blocking out the light. And, and you're like, just give me some space. And he just would deny you space. And it gets frustrating. And then you're being hit pretty hard on top of that. And you're just like, oh. you either love it or you don't. So if you had to give a um, educated guess as to how this fight's going to go or what the result's going to be. Jacobs is going to get stopped. In round... Maybe five. Martin's just uh, texted me. He reckons Danny Jacobs is going to win on points. So, um, that's interesting from Martin. Uh, he's hopeful. Man. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, he hasn't really. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> no one has found a way to keep Golovkin off. Yeah. So, so what we conclude is the only way you can keep Golovkin off is with sheer power. You, you, you're going to have to hit as hard as he does or harder and pray that he respects that. But I, no, I, I think you're, you're in the presence of a very extraordinary human being. And I know people say Golovkin dopes and maybe that's true. I don't know, but I'm sure this guy was knocking people out as a six year old. I'm sure he just has that strange physiology where he can activate more muscle fibres than the average man. Can anyone beat him? I mean, like, clearly, he's going up against Danny Jacobs. It might happen. 
we've seen stranger things have happened, but like, can anyone, can you put anyone in the ring with Golovkin and go, actually, aside from perhaps Alvarez? No. No. Who, who, who can beat him? Can anyone beat him? Is he going to, uh, uh, is, is he'd, it a case? He'd have, he'd have to move up to probably super mid and maybe at super mid, there are guys who have the chin to take his best shots. Um, so he, has to, he has to basically put enough weight that he nullifies his strengths. Essentially, that'd be the well. Only well, way. he he would have to fight people who are used to being hit as hard as he can hit. That's the difference. So there's a psychological element of it where I think middleweights get in with Golovkin, and no matter how much sparring you did in camp, he hits you once, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't know it was that bad." Mm-hmm. Um, because you had that with Kell Brook, where Kell was just like, "Hey, he's just another fighter. He's just another fighter," and I was like, "Okay, cool." As soon as that first left hook went, Calbrook realised this is different. Can I just ask you an odd question? I realise we're not plush for time right now. but Yeah, I tapped my shirt into my pants. If I had to just ask you, right, so let's just say you, there is a draft, right, of all the boxes from throughout history, and your, your um, stable is going to go up to defend you, Terry Boxing Incorporated. It just so happens that Terry Boxing Incorporated has the first pick, and we're gonna we're just gonna choose three weight divisions, nice and easy, uh, lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. Who would be your your pick of the best ever light, middle, and heavyweights throughout history? Well, to defend me, to defend the your your heavyweight is gonna go up the somebody else's best heavyweight in history. Your middleweight is going to go up somebody else's middleweight in history. How would you win that tournament? Who are the best of the, each of those ah, divisions would ah, you choose? Ah, this is easy. George Foreman, Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran. And that's that works down the order, right? George Foreman's your George Foreman's your heavyweight. Um, Marvin Hagler's my middleweight. Roberto Duran's my lightweight. I'd like to put that out to you guys in our much-beloved audience. Don't try and send me no Tysons either. Foreman doesn't... Listen, Foreman smashes everyone to pieces. F- find whoever you want to find. Foreman smashes everyone to pieces. Hagler smashes Golovkin to pieces. Roberto Durand, the best lightweight in history, bar none. Maybe the best light welter, but he skipped that. So, hashtag best three. Let's try that one. BST, I want, I want, I want number these. Three. I want these because you guys know I love Foreman and you know I love Hagler. You know I love Duran. So I'm not even just making this up to win. These are the people I go into the trenches with. You, good luck. To so send them into uh, winner gets a, a, an autographed glove from me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I'd love to see what people come up Shout with. Shout out to Amoware. Give me the glove to sign. Uh, I've got to ask you, why not Muhammad Ali? So if you remember, we did a podcast about George Foreman, if you remember. And, I, uh, yeah, we did. and as I, I said, know, I know. they never gave Foreman the rematch because they knew as soon as Foreman figured out what he did wrong, he was going to knock Muhammad Ali into next week. And he would have done. He would have knocked Muhammad Ali out cold. And that's where the Muhammad Ali story would have ended. And, okay. and George Foreman would have been crowned the greatest heavyweight of all time. Okay, finally, you have uh, Sugar Ray Leonard rant to go on not really a rant but I'm, i get tired of all these people like I, look my view is this like i think sugar ray leonard is a great boxer 
and if you're drawing up a top 10 list of boxes, Sugar Ray Leonard is on it. But I can't respect any human being that puts him at number one. And there's so many people that do. Like that loser Ben Doughty was trying to convince <laughs> me that somehow this guy is number one. So my argument, like, I don't even look at anyone else. I just say, how is he better than Roberto Duran? And they say, oh, he beat him. But actually, technically, it's one each. You know, actually, no, it's not because they fought again, didn't they? Bollocks. Um, <laughs> Should I do edit that? No, no, don't edit that. Let, 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 you know, no, I screw up too. But, but the nub of it is, in their primes, they fought each other and they beat each other, right? And we're talking about primes. But now let's look at let's look, let's look at Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray, nineteen seventy six, boxed at light welter. So didn't box at lightweight because I was Howard Davis Jr. As a pro, made his name at one four seven. You know. Managed to avoid Aaron Pryor, but that's neither here nor there. He had great wins against guys like Wilfredo Benitez. He had good wins against guys like Tommy Hearns. But he fought from 147 to super mid, I think. If I'm wrong on that, pull me up on this. Whereas Roberto Duran fought from 118 pounds, bantamweight to 162 pounds super middleweight that's the span that roberto duran boxed and won all the way up the ladder so when people say oh he lost to Hagler, he lost to hearns he wasn't meant to be boxing in those circles this is it look just give you a context if you saw carl frampton boxing james DeGale, you'd be impressed right yeah. now imagine going two weight classes down and grabbing Lee Haskins and saying, Lee Haskins, in about 15 years, you're going to fight George Groves. You'd be impressed if a guy could make it that high up, right? That's greatness. Sugar Ray Leonard is great, but Roberto Duran is up there. And the reason Duran's up there is he had nothing special about him. Not super fast hands, not super fast feet. He wasn't a great athlete. He wasn't ridiculously strong. He was a man who just understood boxing and understood how to fight. And that's what makes him great. In fact, that's what makes him greater than Sugar Ray Leonard. Any of you guys on in the Twitterverse, I am happy to debate that point forever and a day. Duran is a greater boxer than Sugar Ray Leonard. Had more tools in his locker, was able to go up against far harder opposition at a greater disadvantage and give a better account of himself. Didn't cherry pick anyone. Go back to when he rematched Duran. And he only rematched him. And this goes back to what we're talking about regarding Bellew and Hay. He only rematched him when he realized Duran was out taking drugs, partying and going mental. And said, oh, if I if I rematch him immediately, he's not going to have time to make weight. He won't be ready. And I can just beat him. He waited for Marvin Hagler to go life and death with John Mugabe. You know, Mugabe took years off Hagler's career in that fight. Then decided he was going to fight him. Ray Leonard was the master cherry picker. People disrespect Floyd, but he was the master cherry picker. And look, he was losing against Hearns until that miraculous finest round. So he's not this this casting gold superhero figure. And I wish people would just get off his nuts and just appreciate that there are other boxers who've done it the hard way, and Duran is one of them. We've seen time and time again, this, these are always emotive subjects. So I'd be fascinated to see the responses. From Dare your... anyone, tell your mates, tell Spencer, Gary Logan, anyone that tries to convince me Ray Leonard is better than Roberto Duran, I'm here. Right here, right now. I think the most important question to ask, something I don't know, 
Um, and I'd be fascinated to understand, and hopefully it's not it's not a silly question. Why, when your name is Ray, do you get given the prefix of sugar? Um, it's basically Sugar Ray Robinson. So, you know, he 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 had the name, and then you know when Ray Leonard was coming up, and he was doing his thing, and he was, let's be honest, Ray was talented. He tried to go for the 1972 Olympics, but he was too young. But he, you know, he was still at that level, so he had to wait four years. So he's he's been a superstar in boxing his whole life. So you know the parallels between him and Ray Robinson are there. So he got the Sugar Ray thing. You know? So basically, someone was called Sugar, and then someone else took Sugar. Hmm. Almost like a passing of the torch. Hmm, it's a shame we don't have more Rays in boxing now. I think we could do some or, Sugars or, or Shanes, Sugar Shane Mosley. Yeah, yeah. Or Sugar Boy Malinga. Whatever. Uh, there you go. See, there are loads of them. I, I just, I, yeah. I mean, maybe some other food stuffs we could have in Cheese. front of names. Cheesy Bill Bobson, or yeah, quinoa, <laughs> quinoa, Reynold quinoa against Chris Eubank Jr. for the Ivy Hope Bell. Coffee Bean Luke Campbell. Actually, Campbell would be quite good with some Streak sort of, of piss with <laughs> with some sort of like reference to the soups. That would be uh, that'd be quite good. Right, clearly I'm starting to have a bit of a meltdown mentally because we've gone on so long. Some quality and quantity, man. You guys should be grateful. Uh... <laughs> the ever humble Terry Chapandama. I'm trying to think what the hell you will be t- touched on. Um, next week, weigh-ins for the ABAs. Good luck to all the amateurs out there. Excited, as always, who's going to be the super heavyweight champion. Much love to John Palata. Get behind him. Top man, probably the most athletic heavyweight in this country, bar none. Courtney Bennett, one of the more skillful heavyweights out there. Smart, intellectual, good man. You know, he's just turned 21, you know. So if you're on Instagram, Courtney B, wish him happy birthday. You know I mean, JJFB, why aren't you getting him sponsors, man? That's that's the guy, yeah? Get, get some sponsors behind him. You'll make good money. We'll all make money. You know, Chris Billen-Smith and 91 kilos, good luck to him. Does a lot of good sparring with guys. I mean, class act there. Just working down. You know, we're going to miss Jordan Reynolds this year because he's just joined the GB squad. So congratulations to him. Young Jordan Thompson, this is your time. All these guys just boxing in the ABAs, man. Congratulations to all of them. And the ladies too. Um, Looking forward to watching some of the ladies. Yornel Massey's. Um, Steve Rookwell's daughter, Shona. Good luck to all of those guys. Um, You know, we're in tournament season now. Let's have some fun. This is when boxing means something to people. So just want to shout all those guys out, the young men and women who are going to put it all on the line. Okay, and that means we are coming right to the end of the podcast. But we do have time for Argue the Inarguable. So live from Satellite Uplink, I will ask Martin... uh, Just let me turn the Satellite Uplink on. (laughs) And ask Martin... Martin... After Tony Bellew's stunning dismantling of David Hay, it just proves he is the most exciting prospect in the heavyweight division. Let's make this clear. You've caught me balls deep into a game of Battlefield, right? Whilst my kids are in bed, the wife's out. So this is coming off the cuff. Right. Tony Bellew beat David Hay. David Hay, 
you know, he's a heavyweight legend. He's beaten the likes of, uh, uh, you know, John Ruiz. Um, the only other heavyweight to have beaten David Hayes, Vladimir Klitschko. Vladimir Klitschko is seen as the man for years, but he's tainted now. He got beaten by Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury's tainted. He's got all of the drug allegations. Who else you got in there? Anthony Joshua, he's got a fake gold medal that he never really won. Who else you got? Luis Ortiz, you know, a PED taker, Povetkin PD taker. There's no way. Tony Bellew's taking PEDs, like, and if he is, he's a terrible advert for it. Deontay Wilder is not a real heavyweight. Look at him, he just windmills everywhere. Tony Bellew's an undefeated heavyweight, right, who's beaten, you know, David Hay. As I said, he's a man who beat John Ruiz, so you can't doubt he's got the, the talent. He's got everything, man. He's a bad man. And Martin, if you would like to give me an argue the inarguable for Terry. Given that um, Joshua versus Klitschko has sold out Wembley with 90,000, I believe it is, uh, that's just for one night's event of which there's no undercard as yet. So, therefore, I'd like Terry to argue why um, small hall promoters should, instead of putting on six, seven, eight, ten shows a year, uh, instead they should amalgamate all of those shows into one and that would definitely sell out Wembley. Well, the whole problem is small hall. You know, what these promoters speak it into existence. So why don't they change their name from small hall to big stadium promoters <laughs> and immediately they will fill those up because they've managed to fill your call. So start to, you know, Steve Goodwin can just call himself a big stadium promoter. Call himself big Steve Goodwin. 90,000 straight away. Maybe that's where everyone's been going wrong. Like Spencer Fearon said, speak it into existence. So that's what I'd do. Um, that's the easiest way to fill Wembley, going from calling yourself a small hall promoter to a big stadium promoter. That's fantastic. That is legendary stuff from Big Martin Theobald and Big Terry Chapandama. Being right. held hostage here, man. Yo, free Terry. I've got a train to catch. Right. I'm just being held yeah, hostage that's, here, that's man. Good enough, no. he, yeah, I made him do arguing over. We've just spent like ten 20 minutes. Twenty minutes sat here, <laughs> like four <laughs> trains. I've missed four trains. I'm gonna go there. My Chinese restaurant's closed now. I'm gonna tell Chen. Chen's there. Like, you know, I had your food ready. It got cold. So, I'm. You know, let's go. Okay, we've got a train to... Oh, hit that theme music. Yeah, catch. hit that theme music. Bow, bow, bow. Send me stuff. Box raw. I'm oh, aware. Right, Send me stuff. Now I'm going to start slagging your brands too. off. Sony. Yep. LG. Everyone. So <laughs> I'm going to start slagging you off, man. We've got enough listeners here. We've got enough boxes. I'm slagging people off. If you don't send me free stuff and I can try it and say it's good or it's bad, I'm slagging people off. Right. Also, stop sponsoring bums. If you see, stop right. sponsoring bums, man. You young that, amateurs, that train, earn your sponsorship. Leaving, I'm so. ranting right now. Yeah. yeah let's put that Shit, let's go. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Get in touch at New Age Boxing UK, at New Age Podfather, at The Seven Wolves. Get us some questions in. Show us, send us your opinions. Earn your sponsorship. And don't forget, hashtag best three. At least tell one us, knockout. Tell us your best heavyweight, best middleweight, best lightweight. 2017, we're not taking prisoners. Get in touch. And goodbye as we walk out. Yeah, uh, that's us Frank. done. <laughs> I, 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 I,